Thank you for joining us for another lesson from God's Word. The West Huntsville Church of Christ at Providence is located at 1519 Old Monrovia Road, Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. Anytime you're in the Huntsville area, we hope you'll stop in and be part of our worship. Sunday morning worship is at 9 o'clock, with Bible class immediately following. Sunday evening worship is at 5. Midweek Bible study is held Wednesdays at 7. I'm going to do the thing you're never supposed to do and start with an apology. This class, while I find it incredibly interesting, and I think it makes a great personal study, promises as to how exciting I can make it. Um, it's not really a, a, I mean, it's a textual study, but it's not like, you know, as exciting as walking through Paul's missionary journeys where there's lots of things happening and you can go see it. It's a lot of chasing down Hebrew references. It's a lot of um, looking at passages and then seeing how, at least in my opinion, it seems like sometimes the beauty or the meaning has been lost in the way the translators have translated the name of God. Um, but that's what we're going to do tonight. We're going to look at the names of God. I'm going to intentionally stay away pretty far from Yahweh because James already covered that one. And he covered it quite well a number of weeks ago. Uh, I guess I'll also apologize for sitting up here to teach. I've had a very rough 72 hours since last we met. I think I've been able to make about a thousand calories stick. I'm feeling way better today, but uh, still not quite back up where I'd like to be. So we'll walk through this. So the first one that I want to look at, oh, and by the way, if you want to, if you want to find it, Paul recommended um, this study, and he had, he had found this cool book called Names of God. It's available on Amazon. It's from Rose Publishing. Um, and it goes through names of God, names of Jesus, um, names of the Holy Spirit. And it's a really cool outline, and I've at least found it. it makes a great personal study. We'll see how it does for making a class. So the first one we're going to look at is Adoni. It means the Lord, my great Lord. Um, Typically you see this applied when you're referencing God as the master and majestic Lord. He's our total authority. And there's a beautiful place to open this study in Psalm 8 that takes advantage of this. So if you want to flip over to Psalm 8, that's the one thing I recommend. A notebook so you can take some notes in your Bible because you're probably going to find the best use of this lesson is an outline to go back and study later. So Psalm 8 is where we're going to start by looking at the word Adoni. O Lord, O Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth, who have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouths of the babes and nursing infants, you have ordained strength because of your enemies that you may silence the enemy and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is the man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you visit him? For you have made him a little lower than the angels and you have crowned him with glory and honor. You have made him to have dominion over the works of your hands and have put all things under his feet. All sheep and oxen, even the beasts of the field, the birds of the air and the fish of the sea that pass through the paths of the sea. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. Now you might have noticed that this starts off with what to us looks like just simply a repetition. O Lord, our Lord. And it ends with the same thing in verse 9. O Lord, our Lord. 
But I'll be honest, one of the things that jumped out at me in the study that had not been as obvious as it should have been in the past is those are not the same. It starts with, O Lord, all caps. And then repeats with, O Lord, not all caps. It's because the way this is actually written out in the Hebrew is you find that the first, O Lord, is Yehovah. Yahweh. The second one is Adon. The word we're looking at here. And remember, the meaning here is the Lord or my great Lord. So it's basically saying that you are Yahweh, you are our Lord. Thus the use of the word Adon. So I just it's one of those things that's interesting, and again, it makes a great textual study to sit down by yourself and go through and look at it, because I went from too tight to falling off my head. Such is life. Because it does change the meaning when you look at it. It isn't just a simple repetition. There's a lot more here than, than you would think when you start digging into it. Let's go look at um, Ezekiel 16, verse 8. Ezekiel 16, verse 8. When I passed by you again, and I looked upon you, indeed, your time was the time of love, so I spread my wing over you and covered your nakedness. Yes, I swore an oath to you and entered into a covenant with you, and you became mine, says the Lord God. Again, when we get to the end of this here, says the Lord God, there's actually two different words used there. Lord, Adonai, and God, Jehovah. Let's look at one more where Adonai is used. Habakkuk 3, verse 19. The Lord God is my strength. He will make my feet like deer's feet, and he will make my walk on high hills to the chief musician with stringed instruments. In this case, it's reversed. The Lord and God. And so you end up with Lord is actually the translation of Jehovah and God of Adonai. But they both have their own subtle meanings. So, James covered a lot when we were talking about Yahweh, that, that, that Yahweh was a term, it's four letters, there's no vowels, but it was considered so sacred that it, it wouldn't be uttered. The, the scribes wouldn't, wouldn't utter it. Often they would, they would cleanse and prepare before they would even write it. And Adonai is the term that would often be used in speaking instead of Yahweh. So let's look at the next one. I have 10 of these. We'll see how many we get through. There's way more than 10. (laughs) The next one is El. Its meaning is the strong one. And I realize it looks like L, but every pronunciation I could find, it's more like ale, with more of an A sound than an E. Um, James isn't here to correct me if I'm getting it wrong, so we'll go with it's right until corrected later. And this is actually one of the most common ones that you'll hear. It means literally the strong one. He is more powerful than any false god. God will overcome all obstacles. and We can depend on him. So let's look at some places where it's used. Let's start in Exodus 15. 
And this is where we're going to start seeing some of the beauty of the fact that these different names are often mixed and used in conjunction with each other. So Exodus 15, verse 2. The Lord is my strength and song. He has become my salvation. He is my God, and I, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. The beginning of this, the Lord, the word there is Yah. It's a shortened form of Yahweh. He is my God, it's El, the word we're looking at here. And my Father's God is Elohim, which if we have time, we'll get to here in a minute. There's a bunch of these. I can't do them in an order where we don't run across them before we get to them. But we actually see that in this one verse, there's three different names being used for God. Let's look at another one. Deuteronomy 7 and verse 9. Deuteronomy 7, verse 9. Therefore know that the Lord, your God, He is God, the faithful God, who keeps covenant and mercy for a thousand generations to those who love Him and keep His commandments. So when you walk through here, clearly there's a number of references to God, but it's interesting how they change because it starts off, Therefore know that the Lord, Jehovah, your God, Elohim, He is God, Elohim, and <clears throat> the faithful God, the Hebrew there is actually El, the word for faithful, and then El again. So you actually see it being used twice and surrounding the word faithful. So much like a repetition, it's, it's kind of odd when we look at it because it looks like the word the has been translated, or El has been translated the, but it's actually being repeated here. Who keeps covenant and mercy for a thousand generations for those who love him and keep his commands. And I mentioned before, this one's used over 200 times uh, in the Old Testament, including its compounds. And it's really, it's the generic um, term for God. Uh, It's also a word that we find being used by other cultures to refer to their gods. Um, Ale is used in uh, compound proper names, such as Israel, which means what? Nobody wants to hear me talk the whole time. Yeah, that's right. Wrestles with God. Bethel. Anybody remember that one? I'm not actually sure. Bethel. House of God. That's right, James. (laughs) And uh, let's see, what was the other one that was... Oh, uh... Elisha, God is salvation, starts with El. So there's a number of, of compound versions of this that we find as well. And again, it's interesting where they get used because it, it subtly changes the meaning, right? When you start adding other descriptors to God's name. So let's look at... Uh, now, just because I have a pronunciation up there does not mean I can pronounce it. We should have gotten that clear right at the beginning. Um, El Elohe Israel, as you would expect. God, the God of Israel. Now, I mentioned that El can be used, other cultures would use it as well to refer to their gods, their false gods. So clearly you need a way to distinguish between the two when you're being quite clear and explicit who it is that you're talking about. And so, here we have it used um, clearly to be set apart and distinct from any possible confusion with a false god of the world. 
So let's look at Genesis 33. Genesis 33 and verse 20. Then he erected an altar, and there he called it El Eshiel Israel. Eshay. Elohe. Give me long enough, I'll eventually stumble across some version of it that's close. Elohe Israel. Now, who is this talking about here? Come on, scroll back up to the heading at the top of your, your section here. What's going on here? Who's the he? Jacob. And this is actually after he's been blessed and he's built an altar. And this is the name that is specifically used in reference to um, that altar, that altar to the God of Israel. So let's look at Exodus 5.1 because here we see another use. It's not exactly the same compound word, but it's definitely the same meaning. And this is one of those places where we've seen this particular passage since we were little kids. Even if you didn't grow up in the church, any form of Christendom, you probably ran across this passage. Exodus 5, verse 1. After Moses and Aaron went in and told Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Let my people go, that I may hold a feast, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. So when we actually go through and tear this apart, the Lord, Jehovah, God, Elohim, of Israel. Elohim, Israel. Again, making it clear and distinct. There's no questioning which God this was. I find it interesting that they had to be that specific when talking to Pharaoh. Someone who was definitely in a society surrounded by a pantheon of different gods, and who was himself considered by most of the people a god as well. So they get quite clear and explicit when they start spelling it out, exactly who it is that they're speaking of. Right, because this is where Jacob is entering Canaan, right? And so when he built it, um, James is pointing out that this is the same area that was referenced that, that uh, well, I'm blanking out, Joseph's bones were brought back and, and buried in that same area. Um, so this is an altar that was there for quite some time, as you're talking about before Egypt to after. 
Let's go to Psalm 68. Psalm 68 and verse 8. Psalm 68, verse 8. The earth shook, the heavens also dropped rain at the presence of God. Sinai itself was moved at the presence of God, the God of Israel. So again, we see these being repeated. And while in the first case, the presence of God, Elohim, the second case is Elohim of Israel, making it very specific which God is being referenced. So while we're in Psalms, go to 106. Psalms 106. Psalm 106, verse 48. Blessed be the Lord, God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting, and let the people say amen, praise the Lord. So here we have a case where it's actually changing. Blessed be the Lord, Jehovah, God, Elohim of Israel. From everlasting to everlasting. Let all the people say amen. So again, we just see that it's being used as that, that uh, compound. Now, I know what you're thinking, Tom. This is Elohim. This isn't exactly Elohe. However, we're going to get to Elohim in a minute. And they're all compound versions built off ale. <laughs> so you end, up, you end up getting back to the same roots. Which is why they're all part of that same uh, etymology. So, I know for me when I was looking at this, one of the things that I thought was interesting is, okay, well, it makes sense, the God of Israel. I had at least heard of Ale before, although it seems like Yahweh, Jehovah, um, Emmanuel, there's others that we tend to, to hear more. Um, this is one that, you know, you see the name, but I don't know that it had, had jumped out at me before. Let's look at El Elyon. So it means the God most high. Um, it references that he is the sovereign God whom you can put your trust. El Elyon has supremacy over all other false gods. So the first place, let's go look at this, is in Genesis 14. And uh, in Genesis 14, we're going to start in 17, and we'll go down through 22 or so. And the king of Sodom went out to meet him at the valley of Shaves, that is, the king's valley, after his return from the defeat of Chedormor. Chedormor and the kings who were with him, and the kings who were with him. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of God Most High. And he blessed and said, Blessed be Abraham of God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And he gave him tithe of all. And the king of Sodom said to Abraham, Give me the persons and take the goods for yourself. But Abraham said to the king of Sodom, I have raised my hand to the Lord, God most high, the possessor of heaven and earth. So here we see um, 
a number of different times the same phrase, El Ilion, used in these references here. So if we go back up to verse 19, um, when Melchizedek is speaking, and he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abraham of God most high, El Ilion El, or El, El Ilion El, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God most high, again, Ilion El, who has delivered your enemies to your hand, and he gave him a tithe of all. And at the end, when we get down to 22, but Abram said, I have raised my hand to the Lord, El Yehovah, God most high, Ilion El, the possessor of heaven and earth. So here it's just, it's this different connotation. It's, it's the, the idea of the, the most high God or the God most high, I guess, depending on as you're translating from one language to another, which order you want to put your, <laughs> your scriptures in. Let's look at one more here. Psalm 78, verse 35. Psalm 78, verse 35. Then they remembered that God was their rock and the Most High God their Redeemer. And again, the word here for Most High God is El Ilyon. El, listed as their redeemer. So, again, just another commentation where we're taking the very common ale, but adding it, making it this compound word, giving it a slightly different connotation as the name of God. So we've already mentioned it a few times, so we probably ought to go ahead and uh, define it. So we'll go look at this one. Elohim. Um, Elohim is the all-powerful one or the creator. Um, Typically, it's applied as God is the all-powerful creator of the universe. God knows all, creates all, and is everywhere at all times. It's the plural of El. So I'm kind of cheating because I'm using both the singular and the plural. But Elohim is simply the plural version of the El we've been looking at. I guess it makes me appreciate English a little bit where it's a little simpler to make things plural typically with just an S rather than an entirely new word. Yeah. Yes. Funny you bring that up. Let's go to Genesis 1. So that is absolutely the word that's used in Genesis 1, verses 1 through 3, which is probably the place where we hear it referenced the most. I know I've heard James, when he's going through the different names, uh, even use this passage. And in the beginning, God, Elohim, created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God, Elohim, was hovering over the face of the waters. Then God... Elohim said, let there be light, and there was light. So this kind of comes back into that whole, um, you know, Glenn's been talking about this quite a bit in the discussion of the Holy Spirit. God is three, yet one. So it is perfectly appropriate to be referring to him, plural. Let's also look at Deuteronomy 10, verse 17.
Deuteronomy 10, verse 17. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality nor takes a bribe. I really like this verse, especially for this study. Because by the time we get to this point, we've seen a whole bunch of different names used for God. And in this one verse, we get a big old handful of them. Because it starts off, for the Lord, all caps, Jehovah, your God, Elohim, is God, Elohim of gods, Elohim, and Lord, Adane, of lords, Adon. Those are the plural and singular versions of each other. The great God, the L, great L, L, sorry, even I'm doing it, L, great L, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality or takes a bribe. So in this one seemingly short verse, we have five different names of God used. Each with their own subtle inflection. And again, that's one of the reasons why, rather than me trying to rattle it off and think you're going to remember it, go get a, an interlinear. Um, I personally like the is it blueletterbible.org, whatever it is, just because you can click on it and it's right there. It even has pronunciations for you right there. But, I mean, I hope you're at least jotting down the verses because this is one of those where you really have to go sit down and walk through them yourself to appreciate it. I know I didn't. I looked at it and said, oh, yeah, no big deal. We're going to look at names of God. And I went, ooh, there's, there's some subtlety here. I'm not sure I can convey that very well, but we'll try. <laughs> I can assure you I'd probably never read Deuteronomy 10 before and had it resonate with me that there was an intentional use of five different words all there to name God. All right, so let's go to the next one. El Olhem, the eternal God, the everlasting God. He is the beginning and the end, the one who works his purpose throughout the ages. He gives strength to the weary. So let's look at some uses of of this compound form um, of God's name. Genesis 21. Genesis 21, we're going to go down to verse 33. Then Abraham planted a a tamarisk tree in Beersheba. And he called on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. The everlasting God there is the everlasting Olam God Ale. So again, we see that compound use. So he's also called the everlasting God. Psalms 90. Psalms 90, first couple verses. A prayer of Moses to the man of God. Lord, you have, been our dwelling, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. So in verse 2 here, we find that before the mountains were brought forth, or you had ever formed the earth and the world, from everlasting, O Lamb, to everlasting, O Lamb, 
you are God, hell. And the last one we'll look at on this one is actually in Isaiah. Isaiah 40. This is another one where we're going to actually see quite a few different uses. Isaiah 40, verse 28. Hast thou not known, hast thou not heard that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, feigneth not, neither is weary, There is no searching for his understanding. There is no searching of his understanding. Sorry. So so if we walk through this, starting from the beginning, has thou not known, has thou not heard that, that the Elohim, everlasting, O Lamb, God, Elohim, again, remember that's the subtle variation of the Hail, the Lord, Jehovah, the creator of the ends of the earth feigneth not, neither is weary. There is no searching to his understanding. And it makes sense when you realize that this is the version speaking to the eternal nature of God, uh, an everlasting God. Um, that this is the construction that you would decide to use here. Maybe it's just me. I hear everlasting. It just doesn't have the same. Maybe it's because you have to stop and think about it, Keith. When you go through and you do an actual word study, Olam, wait, what does that mean? I have to go find other words to tell me what Olam means. Now it means a little more to me than just everlasting. I fly past everlasting. I put Olam in there, and all of a sudden I have to stop and think about it. Maybe that's why I like the King James Version more than the New King James. My wife hates it. But it makes you slow down and pay attention to what you're reading and understand the words instead of flying past it. Um, maybe, that's just, maybe that just proves that I read in too much of a rush and I need something to slow me down so that I actually understand what I'm reading. Um, All right, now I realize that, I don't know, I think it was, what, sometime this weekend George Judson was born. I kid you not, it's pronounced Elroy. Um, But it really has a profound meaning when you look at how it's been used, because it's the God who sees me. And just because it has a somewhat unfortunate translation into our modern vernacular that wouldn't have been a problem 40 years ago or 50 years ago, um, it really has an interesting use. So let's go look at Genesis 16. Genesis 16, 11 through 13. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, thou art with child, and shall bear a son, and shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord hath heard thy affliction. And he will be a wild man. His hand will be against every man, and every man's hand against him. And he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. And, uh, and she called the name of the Lord that spake unto her, Thou God seest me. For she said, I have also here looked for him, I have also here looked for him that he seeth me. So when we see the reply, thou God seest me, that's El Roy or El Roy. That's the phrase that's used there. And clearly this is something that we see, not the same phraseology, but throughout the, the New Testament. We see it other places in the Old Testament, the same concept of a God who sees me. 
There are, um, if you decide to get this, which I would recommend, there are actually other references they give as well. I'm actually just picking the examples that are really clear when you go look at them and you don't have to dig through lots of Hebrew to understand why they're claiming this is the same use. Because there's a few of them you look at and you'll eventually get there, but it requires more Hebrew knowledge than I possess. So I'm not going to sit up here and pretend that I understand a language better than I do. Um, but there are, there are lots of other, other places where you can see the same concept of um, Elroy. El Shaddai, meaning the all-sufficient one, um, or the God of the mountains, God Almighty. Um, the idea being God is the all-sufficient source of our blessings. God is all-powerful. Our problems are not for, too big for God to handle. Now, if this one seems familiar, and you're a child of the 80s, I won't tell you that right as I was finishing prepping the last little bit of this, it suddenly dawned on me why this one seems so familiar. And right now some of you are straining really hard and trying to remember it. Yes, Amy Grant used this as the name of a song in 1983 that was a crossover hit. It took me a minute, but I eventually got there, Keith. Yeah, it's a decent song. I wish you would listen to the words a little more. (laughs) Um, Genesis 17, verse 1. Genesis 17, verse 1. And when Abraham was 90 years old and nine, the Lord appeared to Abraham and said unto him, I am the mighty God. Walk before me and be thou perfect. Almighty there is Sadah, and the God is El, El Sadah. What's interesting about this one, did you notice something unique about this particular name and the way this one's used? It's one of the names God called himself. Genesis 35 and verse 11. Genesis 35 and 11. And God said unto him, I am God Almighty, be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall be of thee. The king shall come out of thy loins. Again, the I am God Almighty, God. Here we see it reversed from the way it was done before because it's God and then Almighty instead of Almighty and then God. So here we see it in the order that I've got it up here where God is El and Almighty is Siddha. Genesis 48 and verse 3. Genesis 48 and verse 3. And Jacob said unto Joseph, God Almighty appeared unto me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me. So again, here we see God Almighty and it's El Sadah. It's what's been translated there that way. Now, this one I thought was kind of interesting because finally there was a little bit of controversy. It's not really controversy. There's just some scholars disagree. Um, some scholars suggest that Sadah refers to God's power evident in his judgment. Others suggest that El Sadah means God of the mountains. Um, God refers to himself as El Sadah, as we mentioned, when he confirms his covenant with Abraham. So um, 
I guess he gets to pick which names he wants to call himself. And the exact meaning, either one of those would work, God of the mountains or his power is evident in his judgment. And they would both truly be accurate. All right, so I've got, oh, no, James has a question. We could all stop. No. What's up, James? It's interesting that that's the name he picks, is that it has the meaning or the connotation of um, the all-sufficient one, right? I mean, is that not the concept that basically God's been trying to get across to man since the garden? Well, longer than that. I mean, since the garden. I mean, that's basically the, the entire history of the Israelites can largely be summed up as not sufficient. Oh, yep, sufficient, not sufficient. I mean, it's it's... This constant battle. It's probably one of the ones we have the most with today as well. Um, it's being able to, I don't know if accepts the right word. It might be the right word. Understand, certainly. I don't know if it's a matter of acceptance. It probably is. I think it's probably too much reliance on ourselves. Um, yeah. Maybe I should give Amy Grant a little less of a hard time because it's probably one we need to understand the meaning of a little more. So I'm going to admit, when I came to Emmanuel in the book, I went, I thought that was a name used for Jesus. And that's certainly the connotation, but I think if you look at how it's actually um, being used and how it's described, uh, it has a connotation of the Godhead as well. Um, So it would apply to God. Um, Emmanuel, it's one of those that we probably know. God with us. Um, Jesus is God in our midst. I think that's probably what led me to go ahead and put this in here instead of saving it to discuss with Jesus. It's to make sure we don't lose sight of the fact that God came to earth and walked in our midst. Thus, the reason and the importance of that name, God with us. Um, That's the one thing that a lot of people really want to tear apart and not acknowledge Jesus as being God in the flesh, which does a complete disservice (laughs) to the gospel if you try to separate those or make some hmm? um, yeah so um, best places to go see this are in Isaiah uh, Isaiah seven fourteen. Um, it's a familiar one therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign behold a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel we see it used again a chapter later in Isaiah 8 8 through 10, and he shall pass through Judah, and he shall overflow. Now, this is, now it's kind of a warning. We've turned from the prophecy of Jesus to more of a warning of what's going to happen. Um, And he shall pass through Judah, and shall overflow, and go over, and shall reach even to the neck, and stretching out his wings, shall fill the breadth of thy land, O Emmanuel. Associate yourselves, O ye people, and ye shall be broken in pieces, and give ear, all ye of far countries. Gird yourselves, and you shall be broken in pieces. Gird yourselves, and you shall be broken in pieces. Take counsel together, and it shall come to naught. Speak the words 
and it shall not stand, for God is with us. And I have one more. This might actually work out quite well. I have one more, and it's Jehovah. And I was pretty sure James wasn't going to be here tonight because there is no reason to have me teach this class if James Andrews is available to teach it. Um, And that is Jehovah. I am the one who is, the self-existent one. God never changes. His promises never fail. When we are faithless, he is faithful. We need only to obey him. I didn't actually pull out any biblical references for this one because we've already seen a bunch of them. Um, A number of the the passages we've already looked at already use Jehovah. The one note that I found that I had never heard him mention, and I really want to get his opinion, James's opinion on it, was a note that they had in here about where the word Jehovah came from. And it sounds like really good lore, and I have no idea if it's true, but the note reads thus. Sorry, slipping into that, King James. A 16th century German translator wrote Yahweh, Y-H-V-H. Four consonants, no vowels. Using the vowels of Adonai, the word we started with. Because the ancient Jewish text from which he was translating had the vowels of Adonai under the consonants of Yahweh. By doing this, he incorrectly came up with the name Jehovah. I have no idea if that's true, but it sure sounds like something I'd hear on the History Channel. Well, because it suddenly made it, if I understand it correctly, Yahweh with just the consonants is not actually a pronounceable word. Now, why that would mean they wouldn't utter it, I'm not sure, because somebody had to know how to utter it. Um, I do know that it was about this time, if I understand the history of Hebrew correctly, that it was shortly after this that a couple of gentlemen got together that were Hebrew scholars and said they were only going to speak to each other in Hebrew and kind of recreated what we consider the Hebrew language today because there was clearly a long period where it wasn't really spoken. Um, and so again, like I said, I just thought it was interesting. I'm not, <laughs> this is not one of those, I'm not disfellowshipping anybody over this one. Um, I thought it was interesting. And by all means, let's every one of us go up individually and pester James about this one. And it's either utter trash or an interesting tidbit that may have some relevance and truth. Does it? This is the first time I had heard this particular version that they had actually, the fact that they were able to actually track it down that precisely to a German translator in a given century that had conflated the two terms together. Um, <laughs> fair, fair enough. That's more specific. Well, we'll go with this. Doesn't actually even have? Does this even have? I don't think this even has an editor listed. It's just the publishing company that put it out. So, we'll uh, we'll have to go with wherever uh, Rose Publishing picked that one up and included it in their book. It was new to me. So there you have it. I was going to stop there because once you get to Jehovah. There are lots of compound versions that you can find of this name as well um, when you go through. But I think we'll go ahead and and, uh, call it a class there because we're about to run out of time anyway. So I appreciate your attention. Thank you for not snoring. And uh, there you have it. We hope you have enjoyed this lesson from God's Word. If you would like to continue your study of New Testament Christianity, 
Please send your name and address to World Bible School, West Huntsville Church of Christ, 1519 Old Monrovia Road, Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. Or if you prefer, send your name and address by email to wbs at westhuntsville.org.